How many times have you made a decision to quit a job, a circumstance, or an attempt at doing something that makes you unhappy? The decision to quit might be the right choice for you, but how you go about doing it matters even more. Residency can be such a letdown when it comes to building your financial foundation, but it truly doesn't have to be that way. If you're a physician wanting to take control over your financial future and take back the freedom you deserve, come hang out with this money nerd. No long hours or sleepless nights, just you, me, and the Financial Residency Podcast. I'm your host, Ryan and welcome back to the show. Before we jump in on this one, though, I want to talk a little bit about our community, in particular, our super fans of financial residency. I can't tell you how often I get emails of appreciation for the show, emails that have just come in the past few days from awesome people like Sean and Peter and Brenda. They were talking about how they learned something on the show that prevented them from making a huge financial mistake or realizing that they really needed to take action and get on the right path to understanding their finances. So are you a super fan of financial residency? If so, I would love to hear from you and have you on a special super fan show of the podcast. By bringing you on, we could talk about the things that you want to talk about, what you've learned and what you want to learn more on, really to get the answers to your biggest questions. So if you think you have what it takes to be a super fan, go to financialresidency.com slash superfan and let me know. And don't worry, we'll keep it semi-anonymous so no one can figure out your superpower. All right, so now back to this episode. This show, we have such a great guest. She's so great that she makes quitting look good. And honestly, that's understating it. Lynn Marie Morsky is a physician, an attorney, and what she calls herself as a lifelong quitter who's created a movement behind the strategic quit. In fact, she calls it quitting by design. Super clever. And in the show, she's going to share with us how quitting with a plan in mind can lead us to better and more fulfilled lives that we otherwise wouldn't have actualized for the fear of the unknown. And while walking us through the five steps for strategic quitting, she assures us that it's natural part of life and that the most successful among us, like Zuckerberg and Steve Jobs and even Michael Jordan, are quitters themselves. So how can you become a strategic quitter? Well, let's jump in with Lynn Marie and find out. So a doctor, a lawyer, and a quitter walk into a podcast recording booth. And we're here today with Lynn Marie Mortsky. I'm so excited to have you on, our expert level quitter. How are you doing? I'm doing great, Ryan. Thanks so much for having me. Oh, I'm so excited to talk on this stuff. So what I thought was when I was kind of doing some research and looking at everything you're putting out, which is a ton of great content and podcasts and Facebook groups and everything amazing, you said something that was really profound and it got me thinking about the way that we all live our lives and people, including me, say that we should be living out like our own version of our best life. And in my case, I say it a ton on the show that you should spend in a way that makes you happiest. But as you put it, quitting is something that isn't working for us. And in order to move on to something that will, and that really resonated with me personally. And so I'm hoping that we can just start our conversation talking about that. Absolutely. Yeah. Quitting the way I talk about it, which is strategic quitting, as opposed to giving up, 
is what needs to happen when you realize that whatever part of your life is giving you stress, friction, that it needs to go because you need to make room for something that's going to work better. And this could be job, career, and because those are different, relationship, the city you're in, the ketogenic diet, your yoga studio, all the way to what's kind of, it seems like end of the line, but probably should be up there at the front is quitting mindsets that aren't serving you. But anything in that realm that you realize, okay, this is what's giving me friction. This is what's causing me anxiety. This is what's keeping me from this ideal life that I have imagined. Then it needs to go. But what I talk about is obviously a strategic quit where you prepare for the quit and make arrangements so that everything goes, you know, you're not just up and leaving it. A lot of times there are mindset quits that have to happen before the other quits. But yes, it's all part of getting you to where you're living the life that you're meant to live. That's your ideal life. Yeah. And we talk about ideal life and we're definitely going to dig into that in the show. And I'm curious where you want to take this. Would you like to talk about strategic quitting and what that is and, and the process around that first? Or would you like to talk about, and I definitely think this is number one or two in the limiting mindsets or beliefs that people have that hold them back and helping people realize that, which one kind of would come first? Well, I think I can kind of discuss them both because this third step of strategic quitting deals with a lot of the fears around quitting. And I think a lot of the mindsets pop up there. Okay. So the five steps of a strategic quit briefly, and if you have any questions, I can obviously go into each one in more detail. But step one is deciding whether or not there's something that needs to go. And that has a lot to do with tuning into your intuition. Is your body telling you this thing is not working for me? Does that need to go? And then step two is figuring exactly what needs to go because you may be like, all right, I have stress somewhere in my life. Is it my relationship? Is it my job? And then if you decide, okay, it's my job, but is it the whole job or is it just the commute or is it just your boss? Because quitting isn't necessarily easy and you don't want to have to quit more than you need to. So in step two, you really drill down on, okay, what exactly is causing the friction so that you can quit only that? Step three is where you identify and overcome fears. And a lot of these fears will bring up your mindsets. Like if your big fear is what will other people think of my quit, then you probably have a limiting mindset somewhere that says, I'm only worthy if external validation measures say I'm worthy. I'm only as good as my neighbor thinks I am. And that's a huge limiting belief. Another one might be, I may fail at the next thing. Who am I to be quitting this nice, secure job? Secure is in quotes. Nothing is secure really these days. But this nice, True. secure job and trying to go out on my own, that mindset, the one behind that is probably imposter syndrome. So when you're dealing with the fears that are keeping you from quitting, a lot of times these mindsets pop up and then you got to start back at the beginning like, oh, this mindset actually needs to go before I'm able to confidently make a quit because you don't necessarily want to make a quit feeling super fearful, right? You want to be in a place where you're like, this quit is what's right for me right now. I'm feeling confident, feeling good about the quit. You don't want to feel like you're dragging and screaming through the quit, right? Like somebody is forcing you to do this. So go through and when those fears pop up, identify the mindset behind them, quit that mindset first, whatever that takes. Sometimes it's therapy or a coach just working through it. And then you can go on to the quit. So the rest of the quit, step four is identifying, okay, what kind of preparations do I need to make to prepare my health, relationships, and finances for a quit? This is where you come in very nicely. Hey. And then step five, hey, and then step five is making the quit in a way that preserves relationships and burns as few bridges as possible. Okay. 
recap the five really quick and then let's dive into each one a little bit more. Number one, is there something I need to quit? Number two, what exactly do I need to quit? Number three, identifying and overcoming fears. Number four, preparing health relationships and finances for a quit. And number five, making the quit. I love that five-step process. It's really good. I think it's complete. And I think number three was it with the limiting beliefs, the mindset. Like we all experience this, whether it's big or small, and I'll pick on myself. That makes it easy instead of other people. I need to lose weight. My wife tells me I need to lose weight. My mom tells me I need to lose weight. And I'm totally cool with it because I definitely need to lose weight. And my limiting belief is like, I am too busy to work out. I am too busy to do certain things. Like half the time I forget to eat and, or I don't have time to eat and I'm working through it. And then I'm like, oh my God, I'm so hungry. And then I have like two dinners and that's not good. And I know that's not healthy, but I have that somewhat limiting belief or different mindset on I'm too busy. And I know that other people are going to be saying like, yeah, I literally am a resident. I sleep every fourth night at the hospital. Like I'm too busy to do X, Y, Z or or whatever it is. Like how do they go about identifying maybe because they haven't realized that how do they identify it? And then how can they fix it or resolve that issue? Well, I'm going to go ahead and offer for all the residents listening that Ryan's idea of too busy and your idea of too busy are very different things because you are actually too busy and Ryan is not too busy. And I'll tell you why. Sorry, Ryan. Very good. What you are saying is that my business is more important than my health because you work for yourself and you get to make that choice. Mm-hmm. The residents do not. The residents are told you have to be here. It doesn't matter if you are near dying. You are Q4. You have got to be at this hospital. I was there. It was the worst thing that could have happened to my mental and probably physical health ever. Like residency has to take years off your life. And so if somebody's in that situation saying, I don't have time, really, I'm not even sure that's a limiting belief. That's probably nearly true. And it's hard because residents are not making a ton of money because once you're making you know, a comfortable salary, I say, for example, I don't cook. I quit cooking years ago because if I had to cook, it wouldn't happen and I would eat terrible foods or just eat nothing. So I have food delivery, but that's not free, you know, and for a resident that may be out of reach for them, but you know, it also may be worth it for them to invest that little extra money because if by the end of residency, you suddenly have type two diabetes because you've treated yourself terribly for four years and now your insulin's all over the place and then you're on medications. Well, maybe it's worth it to spend that extra little money on a food delivery service while you're in residency. But most of that is if you're not being told where to be all the time by a residency program, then a lot of it is your priorities. And you saying like, okay, if I'm too busy to take care of myself, that means I'm putting my business success first. Success is also going in quotes here. But to me, oh, you cut deep. I'm just kidding. What? Yeah. To me, the (laughs) mindset shift is that success is when you are healthy as an entire well-rounded individual, your financial situation is healthy, your work situation is healthy, and your body is healthy. To me, It is not success if you're like, you know, I mean, I'm sure he's healthy and successful, whatever, but like Gary Vaynerchuk making it seem like it's okay to sleep three hours a night. hmm, That's not my idea of success. The hustle to like you've burned the candle at both ends, not success to me. I don't care what your bank account says. Your bio data is not going to lie. If you, you know, burned out, your cortisol's all over the place, you're overweight, you're stressed out, you've got to be on like anti-anxiety medication to calm you down. Like that to me is not success. So 
this is a deep mindset shift, which is like, what's your priority in life? What is your true definition of success? I mean, you know, I know we're going to talk about our ideal day, but I'm sure if you could just completely whiteboard your ideal day, the person who's walking through that ideal day is fit, right? Yeah. And I've actually do this and I work with clients and we do actually plan out your ideal day, week and year. And initially it's hard for people to do, but you know, over time we get in a different mindset of looking and thinking about money and time and time is being your, actually your most precious resource. It's not money. And so, yeah, I mean, sometimes I get misaligned with time quite often, actually during the work week I do, but yeah, ideally I would not like to be overweight person that is unhealthy. So yeah, ideal day does not include that. Yeah. So it takes an hour a day to be healthy at most. In that hour, you can do 30 minutes of movement and 30 minutes of meal prep or whatever. Like I'd say minimum an hour a day or sometimes maximum. You don't have to work out every day. If whatever you're making per hour, whatever you've decided you make per hour, it's probably worth at least one of those hours. If you think about future medical costs, because you're a finance guy, right? To dedicate that to your health, to defray those future costs. Like you won't have to have those costs if you take care of your health now. And that's the mindset. I would, you know, scrap the I'm too busy. You're too busy not to, because if you want to be able to keep up this schedule for years, you've got to be in good health. That's, I mean, that's great advice. For years. Yeah. You are too important and too vital to too many people's finance to not take yourself and your health seriously. That's really good advice. And then relating it back to, costs and medical costs and understand immediately as soon as you said that I was like oh dang it that's right that's gonna cost so much more money I didn't plan for that my wife's over here like if she was here I know she's gonna listen and be like shaking her head like you're an idiot I, I've told you this just in a different way and I'm gonna go like yes honey you're right and it's on recording now it's like oh Lynn Marie you're killing me oh great great advice and I, I appreciate that you know, when we're thinking it though, and I'm relating this back to when I work with clients, like sometimes the pain point is the quitting of change or just change in itself, not necessarily the quitting, but in our conversation today, I think it actually could be the quitting in itself. How would you dig into that? Well, I love that you phrase it as that because when I first told people I was going to write a book on quitting and start a podcast, there's all these kind of confused looks. And I would say, well, you know, the self-help industry millions of dollars worth of content out there to tell you to live your best life. But the pain point is generally leaving the life that isn't your best life. And that's where I come in. Mm -hmm. Because you're absolutely right that that's where a lot of people get stuck. You know, of course they know what their best life looks like, or they think they do, or there's some like image in their head of whatever they are not living now that seems better. The grass is greener over there. But over here is my familiar zone. Over here, I know what it's like. And that other side, you know, it takes making some big changes that may or may not be that comfortable to make. So it's just a process of identifying like, okay, what are you afraid of? By the way, most fears come down to fear of the unknown, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. If I'm afraid of what somebody's going to think about me, it's because I don't know what they're going to think about me. Or if I'm afraid of failure, it's because I don't know if I'm going to succeed, right? Yeah. What are my friends and my family are going to think if I make this decision to quit? That's a big one. And that was actually one that I went through personally. And like the initial thing that I said in the beginning, why it resonated so much is because when I finally decided that I'm not going to work for another planner and that I'm going to go off on my own, that it was a huge decision, leaving a nice six-figure job to then come back and not make anything, not have a book of business, not have any contact list and to be like, I want to do this on my own. That it was so hard. And that's the piece that resonated with me. So- and you said your friends and family were like, what are they going to think, right? Yeah. Well, I was going, oh God, when I call mom, what is she going to think about this? Yeah. 
two things on that. Those who think negatively or like when you say, I'm going to do this thing and, and they questioned you or they advised you not to, they are generally either protecting or projecting, neither one of which is your problem. They are protecting you or they think they are from this imaginary scenario where you're a complete failure based on their own values and their own risk tolerance. Or, or it might be what their friends and their neighbors would think of, oh yeah, exactly. what does your son do? Oh, he quit his job. Yeah, that's all based yeah. on what other people may think. Now, if you're the one sitting in a cubicle for 40 hours a week, miserable. Balance your misery, 40 hours a week, by the way, 40 hours a week is just while you're there, but you know you're miserable the rest of the week because you have to go back there every day, right? Mm -hmm. Like Sunday scaries kick in, you know, Mondays are terrible, you're living for Friday, you're happy like one day of the week because Saturday's the only day you're not thinking about it. Mm, great. So you're now happy one seventh of your life and you're staying there on the off chance that Joe Blow neighbor might think something negative about you. That balance does not work out in your favor. And P.S., Joe Blow can either think something negative, neutral, or positive about it. Regardless of which of the three he thinks, he's going to think about it for about 10 seconds before he moves on to his own life, where he is worried about what you're thinking of him. Yeah. And just like in the finance piece of this, right? Like when we talk about the Joneses, like Dr. Joneses next door, like what they drive, what they do, and how you're influenced, this goes along hand in hand, but this is not flashy of, you know, some nice new car or you know, some fancy toys, like we're talking about emotions and thought process, and it's still very relevant. And that's why I love this conversation so much. Yeah. Well, it all boils down to what I was talking about before is do you live your life based on you and your desires and what's going to make you happy? Or are you living your life for others and what's going to make them happy and impress them? Those are two completely different lives. And one of the two at the end of it, you're going to feel a lot more fulfilled and you're not going to be left with like, what if I had tried these things I wanted to do, but my family said this, or people would have thought of this of me, man, the best quit you can make probably in life is quitting that external validation mindset and start living according to your own values. Because what other people think of you, unless they, I always say this, with the giant caveat, if, if they're going to write you out of your million dollar inheritance because you make a quit, all right, that's one thing. But almost no other situation is what somebody thinks of your quit going to affect you more than you actually being stuck in that situation that keeps you unhappy. I'd still even push back on that. Money doesn't buy right. happiness, right? So like why? No, and exactly. Like I, we were talking about signing bonuses and somebody's like, I would get a $40,000 signing bonus if I stayed on in the military. I'm like, so then you just put a price on your freedom, right? And so like the point is not saying that, okay, that's a good reason to stay if you're being written out of the inheritance. My point is that that's the only scenario where your quit could affect what somebody else does to you. Mm -hmm. That's literally the only scenario or like, you know, if your parents, if you're on your parents' insurance or you're living under your parents' roof and they say, if you quit this job, we're throwing you out. Unless somebody in your family is going to do something to you because you quit, their thoughts of you are not going to affect you. I am, however, not saying that because they can do something to you is a good reason to stay. I'm just saying those are the only scenarios in which what somebody else thinks of your quit could actually affect you more than the stress of you staying in it. Yeah. Why do you think society labels quitters as bad? in this because, because they, in reality it's of, not no well it's sayings like quitters never win winners never quit that have done a ton of damage i have like hashtag quit i follow it on um instagram to see meme after meme that say i may pause i i do this and that but i will never quit just all these like memes but what they are trying to do is get you to not give up yeah. there is as i discussed a big difference between giving up and strategic quitting 
And everybody who you know who is successful, and I will just say everybody is the quitter. Steve Jobs, Michael Jordan, Bill Gates, they all made massive major quits that we know about. Mark Zuckerberg, you know, these half these guys quit Harvard. They are the wealthiest guys, philanthropic guys. Michael Jordan quits the NBA, goes back, wins three more rings. Like nobody's thinking like Michael Jordan, there's a quitter, uh, but he is. Yeah, are all the, are all the shots that he's missed. And I know Michael's actually come out and said like, you know, I've missed like, I don't know, 20 game winners that would have, you know, done X, Y, Z. And, but I didn't stop. I, I went back and I've made 40, you know, more game winners or whatever that statistic is, or like baseball players, right. To stick with the stupid sports analogy, but like they strike out or, or they are out two thirds of the time. And if they have, you know, an average of 300 or better, like they're considered amazing. Like you're good one third of the time. Right. But they're right, not that's quitting. failing as opposed to quitting. But yep. yes, like focus on that, too. If you're afraid of failing, look at the fact that baseball players are failing most of the time. And like the best ones are still only succeeding a third of the time. Yep. But think about every successful person, you know, has quit something at some point. Therefore, they are a quitter and therefore quitters still win. If that person is, you know, Bill Gates, giant winner, curing polio, definitely quit things. So it's just a completely irrational thing to have this stigma. But it's the fact that people have conflagrated quitting and giving up. And like, yeah, we want a bunch of things that tell people not to give up. You're on the 12th mile of a 13 mile race. Yes, finish the race unless you're, you know, hurting, like your health is suffering. But that's what we're trying to say is like, you can do it, but it comes off instead of being positive and encouraging, it comes off shaming the quitting portion of things, which is totally unnecessary because like I just said, quitters win all the time. Yeah. So as we kind of round it out, we've, we've danced around it a little bit and I've mentioned it on the show quite a bit. I did a show with my wife on talking about like your ideal life and answering a couple of questions that we done on the show and what I do with clients. But in your kind of words and the work that you do, you know, comparing your current life to your ideal life. And obviously there's going to be differences. Sometimes just in my experience, I know that there's huge differences and sometimes there's not that many. And I usually ask people like, you know, after knowing what your ideal life or your ideal, I should say day looks like, how close are you to living out this ideal day? I've heard anything from I'm pretty much there to I don't have anything that resembles my ideal day. And so I'm curious, like, how do you kind of work through this yourself and then maybe figure out like some of the areas that you should quit in theory to get closer to that ideal day? Ideal day, the exercise was transformative for me. I did it at the end of 2017. And I'm not sure exactly what you counsel people to do, but I had listened to a podcast with Ben Greenfield and there was a blog post that went with it that had you answer these very specific questions about your ideal day down to like, who do you wake up next to? What does your house smell like? What music is playing? Like extremely, yeah. Very detailed. And so I went, yes, I went through and did that very detailed. This is who I wake up next to. This is what music is playing. This is what my house smells like. This is what I eat for breakfast. This is where I go to work. This is what it looks like every last piece of it. And at that time, I worked at the VA for nine years and it was only two days a week. So I've had a million second jobs. And at the time, my second job was in politics. And I was trying to like make these connections in that job so I could get like a higher job within it was political election reform. And I wrote out that ideal day and things were not going well at that second job. There was a lot of friction, but I kept thinking like, I need to stay in to make these connections, write out the ideal day. And I realized at the end, At no point in my ideal day am I working in political election reform because most of it required you to be like at a place, working 40 hours a week, doing something somebody else wanted you to do. I realized political election reform is definitely something I wanted to do on the side, 
but I really wanted to put my heart and soul into like podcasting and speaking and, and the book writing and hold it. Why am I in this second job that's giving me friction? Because I want to make connections to get to this other job that is nowhere in my ideal day. At which point I quit the second job. Like it was just easy. It's so much easier because a lot of times what's holding on to things is our ego. So even in a relationship, and this happens to me like all the time, I am perpetually single, but I'll be in like a dating situation. And if it doesn't go well, and this applies to probably everybody, stop and think about anybody who's like been broken up with or, you know, like it's just gone awry, ghosted or whatever, you'll be like sad that it was ghosted and maybe like confused. And then you'll realize you're like, hold it, that person wasn't part of my ideal day. The person in my ideal day had all these characteristics. That person had none of them. The only reason I don't want to quit it is because like it would hurt my ego. So a lot of times you can get solace out of your ideal day and realize, hold it, those things that like that job I didn't get, that relationship that didn't work. Well, I'm looking at my ideal day and those wouldn't have been part anyway. So the universe just knows what it's doing. It knows what my ideal day should look like. And it was just helping me kind of narrow things out of it that shouldn't be there. That's such a good answer. And I'll uh, try to link, Lynn Maria will be in our group and uh, maybe she'll be nice enough to chime in and, and link some of these questions that were in her exercise for the ideal day. But you mentioned podcasts and speaking and things. Tell us, you know, as we finish out here, what you're up to, where can people find all the information? I know I'm in, I'm in your group. I love the content you're doing, which is why I'm so excited that you joined me today. But tell us where they could find you. You can find my quitting empire, if that's a thing, at quittingbydesign.com, where you can pick up a copy of my book called Quitting by Design. You can check out my podcast called Quit Happens, where I feature people who have successfully strategically quit all of the things I mentioned, Peace Corps, Mormon Church, all kinds of things. And then I'm also at Quitting by Design on Instagram. And then I have a Facebook group called Quitopia, the humble home on the web for all things strategic quitting. And then by, I believe, the time this podcast will air, I have a second podcast coming out because now that I've quit the VA and no longer work for the Department of Defense, my mission is to help destigmatize and demystify plant medicines and other medications from like CBD to marijuana to ayahuasca to psychedelics that have therapeutic benefits. And so you can find that podcast called the Plant Medicine Podcast at plantmedicine.org. Org, and that is on Instagram at plantmedicinedot.org. Awesome. Well, as a doctor, a lawyer, and a quitter, I want to thank all three of you for being on the show. <laughs> and it was always fun to hang out. And I look forward to many more fun, interesting topics that you create because I think you've got some really fascinating stuff. And I appreciate you being here. Thank you so much for having me, Ryan. This was a blast. In our journal club, we're going to be discussing an article by Rogue Dad MD titled Stop Wasting Seconds and Add Weeks to Your Life. In it, he talks about the concept of wasting time. Specifically, what is worth your time and what really isn't? After working all day, how badly do you just want to come home to a made bed? Does having the made bed for you make you feel a certain satisfaction? Well, for Rogue Dad, it actually brings him more anguish than satisfaction. Because of this, he actually spent the time to calculate how long it would take him to make his bed over his lifetime. And the answer was two weeks. It takes about two weeks away from your life if you're to spend the time making your bed every day. And this is when he started to consider what was really an effective use of his time and if this was really worth it. 
Unfortunately, his desire to stop spending time making the bed wasn't exactly what his wife had in mind. And as he put it, she's the natural quote unquote bed maker and wants nothing more than to come home to a freshly made bed. If something so simple as making the bed can put a smile on her face, I'm going to say you should probably keep doing it, Rogue Dad. But it's this concept of prioritizing the use of your time that is exactly what he was trying to get at. You can multitask and use your time efficiently, but sometimes it is best to compromise the use of your time to maybe make someone else important to you happy. And this doesn't mean you have to spend two weeks of your lifetime making the bed, but occasionally you can make the bed, maybe waste a few days of your life. That's maybe a little bit more of a manageable expectation. And this concept honestly spans across all of what you might do. Will you save time putting your clothes out the night before? Could you get someone to help with cleaning so you can spend more time with the family? As you know, I'm a huge fan of prioritizing my time and delegating what tasks I can. If I were to do everything, I'd end up wasting honestly a crap ton of my life that I could better spend with Taylor and the kids. If having a virtual assistant allows me a few extra minutes to you know, make dinner or be with the kids, then you bet I'm going to use one. I have a mental list personally of priorities and what I'm willing to give up to make them happen, which honestly is often at the cost of my wallet. So to summarize, are you truly using your time to the best of your ability? Are there things that you don't particularly enjoy doing and are actually potentially sucking weeks away from your life? Maybe it's time to rethink how you delegate your time and see if there's better ways to utilize that time. Now, making your bed is only one of the topics he spoke on, but I highly recommend you head over to the article and check it out. I'll make sure I link it at financialresidency.com. Well, many thanks to Lynn Marie for being on the show, and I hope you guys enjoyed it along with the Journal Club. And here are the final three takeaways I'd like you to walk away with. First, remember the five steps for being a strategic quitter? Well, while you may think that quitting is a choice and a reaction to that choice, there are many more factors at play here. Here's a good reminder from Lynn Marie about each step for the strategic quit. Number one, is there something I need to quit? Number two, what exactly do I need to quit? Number three, identifying and overcoming fears. Number four, preparing health relationships and finances for a quit. And number five, making the quit. Second takeaway, making the decision to quit is ultimately a decision that favors you and your life. What everybody else says about your choice honestly doesn't matter. Lynn Marie said it best. If they're going to write you out of your million dollar inheritance because you make a quit, all right, that's one thing. But almost no other situation is what somebody thinks of your quit going to affect you more than you actually being stuck in that situation that keeps you unhappy. And the final takeaway, there may be a negative connotation associated with being a quitter, but in reality, some of the most successful people in our society are quitters. And Lynn Marie pointed out a few of the ones that we all know about. Everybody who you know who is successful, and I will just say everybody is the quitter. Steve Jobs, Michael Jordan, Bill Gates, they all made massive major quits that we know about. Mark Zuckerberg, you know, these half these guys quit Harvard. They are the wealthiest guys, philanthropic guys. Michael Jordan quits the NBA, goes back, wins three more rings. Like nobody's thinking like Michael Jordan, there's a quitter, uh, but he is. For our quick community update, if you haven't noticed yet, the Financial Residency Facebook community 
has been combined with our other community, the Physician Finance Facebook community. And now we're like 4,700 and going strong. If you haven't made the move, all you have to do is go to financialresidency.com community and click join. You're gonna be automatically ported over. We also introduced special agent Peggy Carter, who's our top-notch secret agent, and she's gonna be there to help guide you with more financial residency resources. So be sure to watch out for her posts. Hey everyone, listen up real quick. As your host of the Financial Residency Podcast, I'm not an attorney, a psychic, nor do I play one on TV. I'm glad you came here to learn and get excited about your finances. There's no purchase necessary to win, but you do need to know that your money decisions should be talked through with someone knowledgeable about your situation. And that person isn't me, unless you're already a client. And then that's honestly a totally different story. So consult an attorney, a CPA, or reach out to us, fee-only financial planners, to help you get on your feet the right way.